everyone. I'm Linda McHenry, host of the Writer's Voice podcast, and my guest today is R.B. Wood. Richard writes speculative fiction, and he speaks with me today, as he did two weeks ago in episode 32, about what comes next. Specifically, the fact that a writer's job isn't over simply because he or she types the end on the last page of a first draft. So two weeks ago, we talked about some of those chores writers have to undertake to move their books to bookshelves, and we continue that today. Here's R.B. Wood picking up from where he left off two weeks ago. I'm so old-fashioned that I still use index cards and a blackboard. Right behind me, there's a, yep. a blackboard that I jot out my ideas that become scenes, and then the scenes become an outline, and that's a guide that I use for my writing. But there's always room for those aha moments, which I love during the writing process. I view that as your unconscious. Like for me, the last three or four chapters of a book that I've been working on a long time, I started it and then I put it aside because something wasn't working. And then I started it and I realized it was this the, one, the main character. So then I fixed it and I put it aside. It still wasn't working. And then about three months ago, it all finally came together. Like you said, here I am doing that. And that's one of the other things. You can write something, and as you said, if it's not working, it doesn't mean that you have writer's block. It means something needs to be fixed. And what I've found is all the aha moments have been coming like the past two weeks. Aha, now this ties to this. Like It's like I put all the basis of it is there, and now all the threads are coming through and I'm able to tie them up. A couple of things I've had to change because no, that's not going to work because of an aha moment that fixed it. I'll use a, a car metaphor because my late father loved cars. God bless him. It's like when the gears begin to turn, finally. You've been working on an engine, you put it back together, and you've got all the lubricants back in, the oils back in. You're starting an, an engine you've rebuilt for the first time. And when it starts up, you know you've done everything right. When you have those aha moments, that is telling you that that you're on the right track. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. Those are the individual moments that we enjoy as a writer. Expanding beyond that, you know, you've got a manuscript, right? So I have Bayou Whispers right now that's coming out, Crystal Lake Publishing, probably April of next year. We're still playing a little bit with mm -hmm. the schedule. And the book has been done for a while. I've been off selling it for, for quite some time. In fact, the book was my thesis for my MFA for, from Emerson. Uh-huh. But it's a New Orleans story. I spent a lot of time in New Orleans mm -hmm. when I was working. Mm -hmm. um, I spent years actually down there. But now the book is done. What are you doing now? Well, I'm busier now than when I was writing the book. Yeah. Because, we're, you know, I'm working with artists developing the cover mm -hmm. and interior art. I'm working with, um, you know, I interviewed some voice people. We're putting together an audio book. We're working on the final proof copies to develop the arcs and a list of reviewers so we can get the advanced release copy. That's what an arc is in mm -hmm. case your listeners don't know, uh, out to reviewers. All of those steps that need to be done to actually sell the book, we're designing the launch right now. You know, we're, mm -hmm. it's in April, we're sitting in December, but we're starting to design it because we're going to have to have an online component, of course. Mm -hmm. If the pandemic is under control at the end of April when this comes out, we might do a live 
launch maybe in a jazz place in, in New Orleans. That's what we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. So these are all issues that I've got to deal with people who are more experienced with it. Now, I spent 33 years in corporate, uh, corporate technology, engineer, manager, executive, you know, uh, that sort of career path. I know enough about business and business processes to be dangerous. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about marketing uh, art or the sales of art or, you know, great, you've sold this book and you have this launch. What's the next process? You know, you've got to develop a social media presence and, and a whole plan behind that. The whole marketing plan is yet another document that you're putting together that you execute against and you need help with that. The thing that I see with my end from the sales and marketing perspective, people tend to either do too much or not enough. Again, you talk about the opposite extremes. Yes. Instead of finding the balance, they're going to go on every single social media outlet they can find. And they spend three hours a day doing Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and, and Pinterest and all these things. And they don't understand, like one of the things that I do is, yeah, you can go on, let's say, let's just pick Facebook and Twitter because most people use them. They'll go on Facebook eight times a day and post something and they'll go on Twitter. They'll keep Twitter open all afternoon because they know there's more tweets in the afternoon. Well, there are programs, platforms that you can use where you can pre-plan mm -hmm. your Facebook posts and your tweets. And maybe it sounds cold-blooded, but you can sit there. Like if you're the kind of person who likes to post quotes because people like them, come up with your quotes and sit down and spend a half an hour, enter them in and schedule them to go out throughout the week. And then you don't have to spend all that time logging in, typing, logging out. You do it in one place. Oh my God. Social media is such a time suck, isn't it? And, that, and that's what I'm saying. So there's ways, if you want to do social media, pick a couple of places and focus your efforts there. Mm -hmm. The same thing with other kinds. I know a lot of people, they don't do it now, but back in the day, and you're familiar with this one, radio. Okay, radio ads. I mean, I've done radio ads. And unless you do it right, you're throwing money down the toilet. Okay, there are people who want to do, oh, I'll do three radio spots this month. The thing with radio is you have to do it over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Am I not right? It's repetition. I mean, people people will complain about um, uh, streaming media and there's some streaming media that will have built-in commercials and it seems to be the same three commercials over right. and over and over again. That's done by design. Of it's course. repetition. You're going to see- Top of mind awareness is what it's called. <laughs> T-O-P-A. <laughs> see? And you thought I was going to be teaching you something. You're teaching me something. And I didn't know that. I mean- Brie Larson selling Nissans. I've seen that commercial 17 times in the past two days because my wife and I right. were binge watching. And you just now told that to how many people who are listening to this podcast? Exactly. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but <laughs> but see, that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this illustrates the whole thing. No matter how well-trained, how expert you are in something, okay? Mm -hmm. Somebody is more expert than you in something else. And none of us can write and publish and be read in the way we want all by ourselves. Not at all. And that's where relationships are going to come into play. I mean, one of the things we haven't even talked about yet is the networking. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think conventions are one of the most amazing places where you meet like-minded writers, but you also make those contacts. The, you know, over the years I've made writing contacts and met people 
like-minded people or people I've gotten along with who happen to be famous in this particular industry, but they're just good and genuine people. And what I found in the writing industry is more so than any other industry that I've experienced, the number of people who are willing to help you is insane. You know, I asked for some blurbs on Bayou Whispers and I've asked some, my father used to say, you know, the answer is always no if you don't ask. <laughs> you know, if you fall off a cliff, you might as well try and fly because you got nothing else to do. Right, right. But I've got people who said, oh yeah, I'd love to. Oh my gosh, I'd be happy to write a blurb of your book. Could you look at this short story for me or what have you? And there's that sort of back end bartering that goes on and it's marvelous. I have a lot of fun doing that. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this before, and I think that is the exemplification of what I experienced the very first time I walked into my very first writer's group meeting, mm -hmm. okay? I joined my very first writer's group back in the late 80s, and the minute I walked into the room and I saw everybody talking, it's like my body just settled. It's like, wow, this is where I belong, because I think when you are a creative person, whether you're a writer or a musician or an artist you know, what, whatever, your, your, whatever your creative bent is. I think people who are creative are just a little step off of people who are not creative. And I think the way our minds work and the way we perceive things is just a little different. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're with other people who have that same slightly skewed perspective, okay? And I, and I don't mean that in a negative way, okay? I think that there's that comfort level. There's that, you know, people, water seeks its own level. People seek other people who are the same as them, the law of attraction. And I think that mm -hmm. when you're with somebody like that, there's the trust element. And you remember where you were a week or a year or a month ago, and, and you know where you want to go. And, and I think when you're, wherever you're at, you want to help other people get to that point because you know what they're like. And you look at in the future and you want other people to help you. And I think there's the, the pay it forward philosophy is really and truly at work in, among the writer's community. Oh, I was just going to bring that up. It, it absolutely is. I mean, everyone wants to pay it forward. Everybody was an unknown and looking for a leg up and some assistance. And then some people have made it and they're saying, you know, I was there five years ago. Let me help you now. Right. And there's just a lot of kindness in that sort of environment. But I firmly believe that horror writers especially, right? They get all the, all the nastiness out on the page and they're the sweetest people you'd ever want to meet. It's pretty funny. Maybe they're dressed in really dark and evil type clothes, but they're so sweet as a group. Um, I'd never experienced anything like that. It's They're genuinely interested in what you're working on, which makes you genuinely interested in what they're working on and makes you a better writer because they say, well, I write like this person, X, Y, and Z. Well, I've read X, but I never read Y and Z and I liked X. So maybe Y and Z will be somebody I like to read. Perfect example of that is I was told about five years ago that to look at my bookshelf, right? Mm -hmm. What type of writers are you reading? And I looked at my bookshelf and it's nothing against any of the writers who I still enjoy today, but the all white middle-aged guys. Okay. Well, let's go and- <laughs> There's find, a surprise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, right. I mean, that's what you are. Right. Right. And so now I broadened that base of writing or, or that comfortable place of writing. And I found 
phenomenal writers from different parts of the world and different cultures and different backgrounds that I really feel is expanding who I am as a person. And it's interesting because I think writers and artists in general are much more in touch with people and much more in touch with and understand emotions than a lot of people in other industries do. I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit here. Okay. Because I've been a member of a couple of different writers organizations and mm -hmm. I still am. Back in the 80s, I joined Romance Writers of America because someone suggested that I do it because it's, at the time they were viewed as the largest group and they probably were more in touch with publishers and you know the contacts and learning the craft. That's was viewed. At the same time, I joined Mystery Writers of America. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm an, a member of both. I don't participate a whole lot in RWA, but I'm still a member. Um, I'm more, much more active in Mystery Writers of America and Sisters in Crime now. And I think that they all, I think your experiences with the horror writers group applies to all three of those groups. Mm -hmm. What I have found though, is that there are some writers who once they achieve bestsellerdom or they're the big fish in their little pond, okay, if they're mm -hmm. even with indie or whatever, there are some of them who either, it's not so much that they won't help, is that if they do help, they only do so if they're going to get something out of it, okay? But that's the way it is with everything. So if you go Correct. into, if you join a writer's group and you expect everyone to help you, or you expect the people with the most public acclaim to help you, you know, you're probably a little unrealistic. Some of them do. I'm not saying that they don't. I can't tell you how mm -hmm. many writers groups I've sat down and I look at just a regular ordinary person and we start talking and we're getting along great. And you find out when they leave that they've been on the bestseller list 20 times. That happened. More so in this industry, I, I think, you know, any group of people are going to have good and okay and not so people good. People are people. Right. You know, I'm a member of Horror Writers Association. I'm also mm -hmm. a member of the International Thriller Writers and what I found with both those groups are individuals who love what they do and they love the group and they love people who are in the group. And if you're in, then you're one of my people and right. let me help you. Are there exceptions to that? Sure, right? I wouldn't knock on Stephen King's door up outside of Banger or in Florida and say, hey, would you blurb my book for me? Because, you know, I know you're not doing anything right now. You know, yeah. that's that's a little ridiculous. But there are people who have genuinely said, oh, I'd like to help you out. And I was at a conference, I guess it was ReaderCon, right? Mm -hmm. So, which is something that happens yep. up here in Boston. Uh -huh. I was at ReaderCon one year and I brought copies of an anthology I was in mm -hmm. to give to some of the writers who kind of inspired me. Mm -hmm. Every one of them said, oh, no, I don't want this. Not until you've signed it. <laughs> you've got a hero who's a, a writer who, you know, you've spoken to and whose advice has been, you know, sound and, and whose writing you admire. You know, this is somebody that you admire. And they say, could you sign it for me? That's just an amazing feeling, right? Maybe the writers in those groups maybe are more team players. I think there's a recognition of what you said earlier about artists' minds in, in any discipline artists' minds work a little different. And I think that's recognized. And I think if your mind works that way, as one of the crew, for good or for bad, you know? Those areas that you write in are different than a lot of other genres 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So perhaps there's more inclusiveness there. That's obviously what's going on. But you know, you can't just stick with that group. Perfect example, taking my MFA. I'm a horror writer in a program that is geared towards, you know, genre fiction, right? Yeah. So, so popular fiction. Half the students were romance writers. Yeah. And I hadn't read a lot of romance and I just hadn't. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading some of my colleagues' work at school and I'm like, you know, this is far more nuanced than I thought it was. It's not like a Hallmark movie, which is three plots for 162 stories in some cases, right? I'm being mm -hmm. facetious. That particular kind of fiction is very limited. There's yeah. rules because the readers don't want to see certain things on the page. Therefore, right. the writer can't put them. So that's one of those cases where you're writing to a market and a specific one. You don't yep. always have to do that. Not every writer has to. There's a friend of mine who writes similarly dark fiction who I've known for a while. In fact, he and I got the first rejection letter together on a project we worked on from Marvel back in the late 80s, I think. It's one of the best rejection letters I got. It's on full color letterhead and all the rest of that. Uh -huh. I kept it just for that. Yeah. <laughs> and he also writes romance stories mm -hmm. under mm -hmm. a pseudonym. And his romance stories do way better. Yeah. And it's because he adds a lot of nuance from other writings that he's done. And he studied the marketplace. Mm -hmm. He's an, an attorney by education and trade, but he writes the romance stories because he understands the market and he understands the marketplace. And he can cater to that particular genre. And he obviously enjoys it on some level, whether it be emotional or business or a combination. Knowing him both. Yeah, because he wouldn't have the readership he had if there wasn't some authenticity there. Correct. That's the typical example of somebody who does what he wants to do from a strictly business perspective, but then taking the, the story of his heart or what he needs to do. I, again, I think most of us writers, just like if probably if you have to paint or if you have to play music, if you're a writer, you write. For me, if the only thing I could write was horror, I'd learn how to do it and I'd do it well. Mm -hmm. It might not be what I prefer to do. That's why, I mean, I write all this insurance stuff. Yeah, I worked in the insurance industry and I like it. Do I like it as much as fiction? Absolutely not. But right now that's reducing while I'm doing more with fiction. I'm at that point in my life. So I think those are some of the things that we need to keep in mind. Richard, it's been a really good chat. We will have you back in April when that book comes out. Oh, thank and you. And I just want everybody to know I'm putting together some panels. So for those of you listeners who, if there's anything you want to hear about, I'm putting together some panels of writers. We're going to probably have some live Zoom things. Zoom things. You think as a writer, I'd come up with a better word than thing. We're going to have some live Zoom events with some writers. So if you have any questions or whatever, reach out to me on the website. So you can find Richard at his website at rbwood.com. And where are you on social media so people can find you? So I'm on Twitter at uh, rbwood. You'll see me in my nice white Panama hat, otherwise oh, yeah. known as the Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter hat. Okay. You'll find me on Facebook and I have a page, rbwood writer. And like you, I have a podcast called the Word Count Podcast. We just finished our hundredth show. Our 10th season has ended. And uh, we're looking to, to move on to do some different things next year, I think. There's flash fiction stories based on a prompt for everyone's listening pleasure, and the show's free. And you can find those shows linked right on my website. So there's a list of anthologies and books I've put out already. I also have an Amazon page. Just look under R.B. Wood. There we go. 
as another writer said, you can find your books where all good books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. I think you like that, huh? <laughs> Okay, Richard, thank you. It's been great to have you. We're going to be having you back again. Take it easy. Thanks, Linda. Take care of yourself. Be safe. You too. Bye-bye.